0: Hello and welcome. My name is Joel Martin and I'm the host of the Morning Bell Podcast. On today's episode, Luke and I are joined by series regular Andrew McDonald. Andrew is a reader and writer of Books for Young Readers. His brand new series, Real Pigeons, debuted in 2018 with hilarious illustrations by Ben Wood. In the media section, we chat endings in long-running shows as well as Hitchcock's Rebecca, The Americans and more. For the topic, we start part two of a discussion about the state of children's literature, the idea of competing for attention among many distractions. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. My name is Jill Martin, and we are back at the Brunswick Street Bookstore. And Luke, you're with me again. How are you doing? It's How's your me. week been? It's
1: not Ian. Um, it's I've true. good, very busy. I've been reading um, or listening to because I love those audiobooks. Mm. David Gamel, Oh,
0: personal (laughs) favorite Yeah There you go So So, which series have you started? Because he's got a lot
1: Yeah, so I I read a while, like ages ago The Legend book Which is a standalone, if I understand correctly Yeah Um, Well, it's
0: it's like this It was a standalone And then he made a bunch of books after that In the same series uh, Ah, yeah,
1: but it stood pretty well by itself But then, um, so I'm on the Troy series Yeah And that's a lot of fun You're really enjoying (laughs) it? I really enjoyed the the Troy story originally mm. like you know of course the classic Homer yeah. Homer <laughs> but um no it's fascinating I I haven't finished the first one yet mm. still getting there but it just puts together the whole it, it throws all the different sides and all the different yeah. um mentalities of all these mm. soldiers from different backgrounds um very Very realistically. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Gamel has this. He's one of the most empathetic fantasy authors I think I've read. Um, And like, he very much was and is one of my favorite fantasy authors of all time. Mm. But I think he, his, I was very like, when he did the Troy series, I was like, hmm, another author doing a Troy book. (laughs) But he really took a different spin on it. And I think he focused in on a character that um, was the camera um, to view all these other, you know, famous characters through it was, it was fantastic i'm really happy you're enjoying yeah it. see that's I think one that we wouldn't be friends if you came back and you're like hey lord <laughs> of the silver bow is really really terrible book out. yeah and like, all right Ian, you're on full time now yeah well <laughs>
1: um having the camera of that character is one thing but it's more like going into all these mm. opposing characters yeah who they all sort of flesh out as they have real um like life goals and yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. things that their people are trying to get even though they're raiders Of rapists, warriors from opposing sides. They're worshipping other gods. They don't understand this culture, but they want to uh, fight it or trade with it. It's just very interesting.
0: Yeah. He does. You don't see that a lot. He's like an (laughs) empathetic George R. Martin in one sense. I I really, yeah. Big fan. Talking about what and who I am big fans of, Andrew McDonald. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's nice to be back. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I got there with that segue. How's it going? How's your week been? (laughs) You didn't stretch the truth at all. Uh,
2: (laughs) Yes, I am a big fan of of you guys as well. So it's nice to be back. Uh, My week has been good. I have been very busy Mm. writing and promoting new books uh, that's your life though Andrew your life yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's just been one of those years decades it's, even yeah um, <laughs> one of the sad things is that you don't get enough time to read uh, especially mm. when you're kind of like you know coming up to a deadline and you know you just have to spend all of your spare time mm. working on projects there is less time to read uh, yeah, absolutely so I'm uh, kind of stuck uh, almost finished uh, uh, Susan Cooper's The Dark is Rising uh, sequence of books I'm, um, I've just started
0: book four the final book interesting yeah uh, so tell me about this series because I've heard of it but I don't know much about it what's the gist uh, and when was it published
2: it was published in uh, I want to say the late 70s early 80s Oh wow, you're so uncool yeah. Andrew <laughs> <laughs> Uh, by Susan Cooper who was born in England lives yep. in America now she's quite old now yep. mm-hmm. uh, but these books um, it starts off with a kind of like Ian Blyton type adventure yep. mm-hmm. novel yep, yep. Uh, called Secret Seven yeah yeah, stuff, yeah yeah, yeah. I mean it, it becomes something different by the end of that book and then we lead into the most famous book uh, which is book number two in that series called The Dark is Rising uh, which is set during Christmas in England and um, the whiteness of the snow of this kind of like freak mm-hmm. snow storm season that they had have as a metaphor for evil uh, kind of um, coming down Encroaching, and, and, yeah. and time shifting and time travel and it's beautiful yeah. and, Amazing, um, yeah. and quite scary. Uh, so I'm, I'm up to the fourth one in that, the um, silver on the stone, uh, and it's it's kind of uh, becoming more and more about King Arthur uh, as we oh, go. Joel, so I think cool, you probably yeah. like it. A yeah, lot. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> good, there you go. So is that um,
1: a young protagonist like? Uh, yes, Will, Will Stanton. Yeah. Will
2: Stanton is our young protagonist that um, kind of is the the chosen one uh, trope in that book and that series. Uh, but he doesn't always appear. Sometimes mm. there are um, there are other characters. Uh, the kind of Enid Blatton type um, mm. trio from the very first book um, becomes something else as the uh, story progresses. It's really great. Yeah. And you've got to read The Darkest Rising uh, yeah. at Christmas time in England, <laughs> where, it's, <laughs> it where it's really dark <laughs> yeah. and uh, cold. Yeah. yeah. You can actually empathize with that. Is there yeah. an odd number of protagonists? Uh, there are. Uh, there's Will Stanton, our chosen one, and then there's three. But then there's a um, a wonderful character called Merriman, uh, mm. who's an elderly, kind of hawk-nosed old man, right. who of course is um, really Merlin. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah He's yeah. going to
1: count as a support character, isn't he? Uh, well, he's 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 central to the series. Mm, okay, That's I'm right. thinking more along the times of the what is it? The three investigators, the five. Famous five, yeah, famous secret five. seven, Arty Boys. So it's
2: not nine in this, is it? <laughs> no. Well, I guess we've got either Will Stanton, so one, or the uh, the kind of trio at yep. the, uh, of kids at the beginning. So yeah, mm. three or one, but then they combine and it becomes four. So right. four. Oh, it well, there you go. That's <laughs> <not laughs> quite. It's a version of the <laughs>
0: yeah. It's a cha- it's changing the yeah. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. So what what age group would that be around? Oh, this is probably for maybe eight, nine, ten. Interesting, even mm. up to eleven and twelve. And yet it has an adult protection with 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 the Merlin character. Uh,
2: well, he's not. He's probably not the protagonist. We've right. probably got Will okay. Stanton, the boy. Yeah. Uh, who is an old one yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. in the lexicon of the book. Uh, but but Merriman is kind of the, um, you know, you're kind of waiting Mental, for that yeah, character to appear yeah, yeah, yeah. every every book. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so it, it's very exciting. Yeah, um, yep. may, Maybe uh, not as known here in Australia, but certainly over in England, it's kind yeah, of absolutely. like one of the classics.
0: Fantastic.
2: Uh, well, sounds
1: almost like a Gandalf appearance. Like you're waiting. Yeah, oh, yeah, here yeah. he is mm. finally, yep. you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay yeah
2: Very isn't that amazing like sometimes you can like have a book and like there's 400 pages and one character features in maybe 10 in yeah. total <laughs> and yet people will talk about that character <laughs> after the book and and that character most of all it's i don't know i don't know how you do that I, yeah author. i don't
0: i don't think you can plan it either i think it's strange what people fixate on in books and it's really surprising and i've talked to authors who've been like yeah you know that one character that showed up for five pages suddenly is the most interesting yeah. character in my book. Yeah, yeah. maybe it's the mystery. Uh, it's because the mystery, everything right? else has
1: sort of been a bit explained to some extent. Yeah,
0: there's a level or of explored magic to someone not actually being defined very clearly. <laughs> yeah, and a I character th- who is
2: an enigma. Yeah, it, mm. and I think with younger readers,
0: that's even heightened, I think, maybe. Um, totally, because the unknown is always so much more interesting, right? Yeah, even um, more so
2: than adult readers. I think yeah, um, a, a character will will hook and and kind of decide a young child's mind. Up.
0: Because I think when we get older, we're looking at characters that we can empathize with, right? Characters that either mirror experiences to us, or is different to us, or is it exciting. But maybe when you're younger, in one sense, you're you're more empathetic. You're you're more interested in differences and. Yeah, mm. I think that's curious. I wonder if that would have an interesting effect on children reading much higher than their than their years, right? Reading like YA or stuff like that. That that would be yeah. curious as well. Yeah,
2: young readers reading up, essentially. Yeah, reading up, yeah. Yeah which apparently is one of the best things that you can do is, is encourage kids to, to read up, yeah. to, to try. And, and because if they don't if they don't understand a book or they don't like it, it's too old for them, they'll self-censor. And yes. They'll put that book down. I remember an Isaac Asimov novel that I like started, I reckon 20 times from like the ages of like <laughs> 8 to 16 wow. before I was kind of like ready to like yeah, finish yeah, yeah. that novel. Uh, yeah, you self-censor. And yeah, like did you guys do that? Did you like start books, put um, them away and then come back yes, to them again I when did. you were young? Yeah.
1: No, I was a bit of a what do you call it? Uh I, I sort of snuck him in. It wasn't like very very high concepts like uh am mm. trying to read an Asimov book or something, but um what was it some like very intense like gang violence <laughs> novel which I picked up it was up on the 8th grade shelf but I could reach
2: it, so. Yeah. <laughs> um Hello a Clockwork but- Orange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> like Yeah, if you think the film is bad, read the book. Yeah, it's like reading Heart of Darkness
0: when you're super young. You're like, oh, this is really traumatic. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, I don't even know how how I would have perceived that book as a young person if I'd read it then. I wonder if you'd miss a lot, you know? Like, you wouldn't actually be that traumatized by Heart of Darkness. Yeah. Because it's all in the subtext in that book. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think young readers forgive maybe a, a little bit more.
2: Yeah, I would like to think that young readers would kind of see it as a product of its time. Yeah. Like, even if you're not getting the subtext, you're like, oh, natives are uh, heads on sticks. Yeah, Maybe not the way that story should have been told yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. or, you know, would be told now. It would be told now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Well, I guess we're pretty much deep into the media section. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that was perfect. Luke, what have you got for us? What have you been watching, reading Well, Lords of the Silver Bow? Lord of the Silver Bow? I forget. Lord of the Silver Bow. Yeah, okay, so Was it two podcasts ago? Hang on oh, yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, Desperately flipping through notes Chrissy Yes uh, Two podcasts on, ago Hang on, That's wait the one
1: Yes Dramatic page <laughs> yes, flipping I think, and it, sees... I think it would be um, The Americans, yes The Americans That was with the Kache, TV series. yeah What? Did I miss a page? <laughs> I missed a page The notebook I wise. need to scrap my book Yeah Oh my goodness Um <laughs>
0: Fill yeah. fill in how is so, that going so that
1: was really good i finished it mm. uh 2 weeks ago cuz nice. i had a good wow. binge watch yeah, yeah, and yeah. really enjoyed the way that the story was handled there you go. um first season i think i talked to you about this as well mm, yeah first season felt very seasony felt very typical Spended sort of TV. like every yeah, tv show sort of looks sure. like this and then it flew off in another direction after that and It took characters in ways that I wasn't expecting And ended really strong Interesting I was blown away And now I'm watching it again With my wife (laughs) now Because she wasn't here for that And she likes it too She's pretty... Uh, highly critical of yeah, Story yeah, So yeah. she's She's enjoying
2: it too It's really good Man yeah. the and ending Of that show Was really good Oh so you yeah. yeah. seen it Yeah Yeah, yeah, I thought, I, yeah. And I, It was kind of like A show out of time Like mm. it didn't really Suit the times That it was made for Even though Russia <laughs> Is very <laughs> kind of Present Present In you know, yeah. our mm. minds at the moment mm. In terms of like Political news yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, But yeah I mean I, Yeah Like having a good landing With a show like that When the when the stakes Have been so high For so long Yeah Very hard to pull off And I think that they did
0: I, I really liked it Yeah, yeah. I can like name the amount of shows on one hand, maybe three fingers that I've enjoyed the ending of. Endings are so difficult with long-running shows. I think. Yeah,
2: I would argue the Breaking Bad perfect show, but yes. didn't quite uh, stick the landing.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I don't. Yeah, I agree. I think I agree with that. But I think maybe they were thinking the movie. You know, that would follow up a little bit. when they I didn't know there would be a movie. movie when yeah. I made <laughs> <heard> that statement. <laughs> yeah, it, apparently it's coming out end yeah. of this year or
2: something. Yeah, like I um, saw someone online talking about the ending of Breaking Bad a while ago and they said that it should have like just flashed back to Walter White dead in his car in the snow. Uh, as yeah. And kind of like, you know, that like amazing kind of like exciting like uh, climax in the final episode should have just been a dream. Like he doesn't get to go out guns blazing. Guns he blazing. just like freezes like to death in a car and it's really kind of mundane. And yeah. Fitting for that character. Would have shoot
0: suited the show even, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought it that was, was interesting. It was interesting because I wonder with the ending of, you know, Jesse driving, and this is a spoiler, obviously, for everyone <laughs> listening, but you'd be used to this by now, um, <laughs> when he's driving off was a really good scene. I really yeah. liked that scene, yeah. but I wonder if the, the road to that scene was maybe, uh, you know, could have been a bit different. But in one yeah. sense, you just wanted him to catch a break, like it is just so much misery towards the end of that show yeah. that you just you just thought man this <laughs> May- needs to stop <laughs> so
2: maybe right ending for Jesse Pinkman wrong ending for Walter, White. Ending for Walter White yeah, yeah
1: but that's something that happens to shows a lot when they drag mm. on they are like add more misery add more misery which was what I was really happy about with the americans i saw mm. the 6th season i was like this is that's a lot of seasons but then it finishes i thought hang on that's that's probably a, a decent length in and it didn't go into this misery misery like chain that people tend to end up looping
0: (laughs) i think yeah especially when you have shows that have like a fairly grim premise Mm. the only way you can keep upping it is upping the grimness of that show and there there are times when you're like man this is really rough but i'm interested to see how they get out of it oh it's getting worse okay third season all right it's like Mm. putting it the The thing I keep coming back to is drama is characters in hot water, right? Seeing what comes out when you put them in hot water and seeing what they do. Hmm. But a lot of these shows are like, you know, their skin's off. The muscles are all melting. You've just got skin and bones at the end. You're like, ah, this is not the show I started watching. (laughs) And I keep coming back to Ripper Street being one of my favorite shows of all time um, because of how they stuck the landing and how mundane the ending was and how against type that show was. Um yeah, it, it, the ending is one of the best things about that show, I think. Um, interesting. The Americans. There you go. Fantastic. Andrew, yeah. what have you been watching, imbibing recently? What have I been watching?
2: It's uh, it's hard to digest the news these days. So I mostly do it with John Oliver. Yes. And uh, <laughs> yeah, some Colbert yeah. on, on YouTube. Yep. Uh, I haven't watched. Oh, I, I watched an old classic on the weekend. Actually, I watched Rebecca by Alfred Hitchcock. Ooh, uh, I like it. Yeah, it was a Hitchcock that I'd never seen. Yep. Uh Neither. and yeah, you have have you seen it? It's no. Hitchcock, so I probably haven't seen it. <laughs> okay. Uh the, the basic premise is a um a kind of rich playboy uh remarries and takes his new bride to his new uh mansion. Mm. Uh but the uh the ghost of the first wife kind of haunts Ooh, yeah, yeah. haunts both of them. Uh it was probably just i'd probably describe it as problematic in the first yeah, half yeah, yeah. because he he calls his new wife you know silly young fool and you know why didn't you just it's like yeah of its time yeah, very yeah. of its time uh, uh but then the second half uh, had great twists i love i love a story that twists and then twists back yeah. and then twists sideways again yeah, and yeah, all yeah. the twists make sense and I think I think that's hard. I think it's hard to like maintain stakes and twists over like a six, seven, that eight season overlap. run yeah. without getting into torture porn. Yeah, yeah pretty and much yeah. violence just for
0: the sake of it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe. I mean Hitchcock is the classic, right? In that case of having things that fold back on itself really, really smartly. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people say that you know people like Guelmo Del Toro. You know, he's one of those uh, filmmakers that can an upper twist without having that just add more stuff to the show. Yeah. Or, or in this case, films for him.
2: Yeah. There is nothing more perfect than a, a twist that kind of makes sense of everything that's come before it and adds new Because you have meaning.
0: an aha moment without it being cheap yep. in one sense. Yeah. It's not withholding information from the audience. It's like you know, revealing information naturally. And then you realize, you know, what he's doing. And that's hard to write. Yeah. Yeah. Um I think I think Ian uh for instance he writes a lot of mystery novellas and things like that and he'd be interesting to talk to about this but I remember chatting with him about twists you know because you know every mystery has that has that feeling that you want to up it in the next mystery in yeah. the series um and and sometimes it can fall flat but it's a yeah. It's an odd talent and I think you got to have a certain brain for it, maybe. Yeah,
2: and it's a, it's a weird thing now, I think, to look back and uh, admire a film for its amazing kind of plot manoeuvring, but at the same time condemn it for its um, characters doing what characters would not do now,
0: which is, you it's, know, gaslighting and essentially, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, uh, like, abusing, really toxic abusing women. yeah, so, Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which a lot of those films in that era did. Yeah. yeah just yeah. casually. Um, talking about really rough the watching material, and this happens to be a trend, Andrew. That you come on, we talk about yeah. the grimmest stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm a children's author. <laughs> 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 They'll never listen to this podcast. Um But I was watching Mindhunter, um, mm. the latest season on Netflix. I haven't seen
2: any of it, but I'm very keen. So no I spoilers. I won't spoil it. I okay. won't
0: spoil it. But it's a it's a hard. It really, it's hard to spoil that show because nothing I can say about the plot. It was spoilery in one sense. So it's a, it's a show that's based on real events and real characters, um, with two fictional characters as stand-ins for their real-life counterparts. Um, and those characters' journeys—they're the journeys you follow in their problems, either with family or relationships. But the accidental part is all about the the origin of the FBI starting their behavioral science unit um, to study serial killers and setting that up. And, man, that show is fantastic. The season one, I gush about this show when it came out and no one cared. (laughs) But, you know, it's a show that couldn't exist without Netflix or Mm. without streaming services. It's very slow. It's very against type. It would not air on any, uh, you know, uh, conservative uh, uh, networks on TV. It's just... It's it's so perfect for that platform. Um, you don't need to, at the end of the episode, to have a hook. You're just so engrossed in it because you just want to find out more about these characters' journeys and and, and less about what will happen to them, but how the situation around them develops. And it's mm. so <laughs> well written and just... I can't say enough good things about that show.
2: And people seem to be raving about the second season.
0: Yeah, so I just finished the second season day before yesterday, I think. So I definitely binged it. Um, Pretty much, I'd get home and then I would chuck on two, three episodes and I'd be traumatized, then go to bed. Um, (laughs) But yeah, highly recommend. I think second season is better than the first season. Mm. It didn't have to set up a lot of things. um, And you could just jump straight in and boom you're right back into it so highly highly recommend it was one of those shows that actually i uh when i saw it came up on netflix i was like ah do i want to (laughs) like it it it, it, you know it's not a show that's quote-unquote enjoyable uh to watch because yeah it's just very well done Incredible writing And I think as as writers There's a lot to learn From something like that mm. um, So it's not
1: popcorn watching But it's oh, an no. enjoyable
2: experience
0: yeah. yeah, it's an enjoyable uh, Very illuminating experience But um, Is it yeah.
2: so slow that you need A couple of episodes To really kind of get into it?
0: Maybe for the first season yeah, um, But not for the second okay. Because if you've bought in In the first season You know, second season Doesn't hold your hand It's just, just straight back in yeah, um, and Netflix does this thing where they have these recaps, you know, before the season starts, okay. which is that's good. Mm-hmm. I like I like the recap at the start of an episode. Yeah, me too. It it was like a year and a half, two years <laughs> yeah. between seasons, yeah. so. I just know that everything went to hell and then <laughs> let's see what happens.
1: I don't like it between episodes, but I like it between series. Oh, between, between episodes, episodes I binge awful. everything. So it's like, oh, I just saw that 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah.
2: I feel like they're a little bit like fairy tales. I'm always happy to like have the same story told to me. <laughs>
1: oh yeah, that was a good
2: episode. I love that one. Okay, watch more. I've already started. Great. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah I know. It's, <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it's fantastic. So to add it to your list. Um, all right. To uh, change the pace, uh, in one sense, we're going to talk children's lit, but it's more of a part two of this discussion because we had a little bit of that with with uh, Chrissy on the on the podcast not too long ago, um, and we could have kept going. Uh, you know, there's only so much you can discuss in in an hour, but a lot of the stuff that was brought up, I want to, you know, tease out a little bit more. And I've done some reading afterwards and looking at, you know, publishing trends, but also just commentary about this phenomenon. I guess this isn't much of a phenomenon; it's more like real life these days. And that is the idea that uh, children's letters is in an interesting place, um, where kids these days have a lot of competition, you know, vying for their attention, and reading often is a bit of a harder medium to engage with for various reasons. Um, but I'm interested in hearing, you know, the author's journey through this, right? I'm, I'm curious to see what your path was in this, Andrew, and then we can like go around the table and figure out which tangent we want to pull on mm. um, as we usually do. But yeah, like your the real pigeons series. Isn't your first foray into children's lit. So what like, have you seen a change from when you started and can you see problems Um, Arising and solutions to those Lots of stuff I guess uh, I mean it's a pretty big question I Mm. I, I guess
2: it's worth thinking about The children's book market Mm. Versus the children Like the the children actually reading the books Because I think they're really different things Mm. Uh, and if we talk about the trade, if we talk about the children's book market and where books are being sold and how kids are coming across books, whether it's, um, because they're buying them from Kmart or because they're borrowing them from the library, that's really different to, uh, um, the way that, uh, the market is working. Sure. Uh, the, the, the kids are consuming them, how they're consuming them and, uh, they're Got a lot of yeah, a lot going on in their lives, um, and I, I don't think the children's book market cares too much about that. Mm. I think that they're, they, I mean, books, books haven't died out. They're still there. Yeah, absolutely, they're still very popular. We're still making movies out of them, um, but I think it would also be naive to say well. Books are lovely. I've visited some children at a library at a school and they're reading books. So, no problems here. <laughs> Nothing. To, n- don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, no panic. Move on, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it is the reality that um, we as children's cr- book creators, uh, authors and illustrators, are competing with video games and uh, Fortnite and Minecraft mm. and uh, and sport. I mean, yeah. Australia is a country that has a strong sport culture. So, that's always yeah. a competitor. Um it's it's hard to keep kids uh, reading throughout their um, kid to teen years, especially, uh, just because of, you know, other social yeah, pressures you sort of, of come lose into them it.
0: sometimes between that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I, I, that was me, me as a young reader. Yeah. I read strongly in primary school. Uh, I, I read uh, all the texts that were set to me mm. uh, in secondary school, but I didn't read for pleasure as much. Mm. And then I read for pleasure again when I was at university. Uh, were you guys, did you guys follow a path like that or were you reading all the way through?
1: Yeah, it was pretty pretty close to that. Um, yeah. I think I tended to not read as much the ones that I was prescribed to read. <laughs> so, I was prescribed to read. I'd get the spark notes on that one and read something I was enjoying mm. on the side. So, um, other than that, it's pretty close. I think in... Because mm. uh, I kind of skipped on university, I went to writer's course instead. So, um, I ended up writing instead of reading for two years. <laughs> yeah. Um, whatever was prescribed, of course, but... I was pretty nutting down on the writing at that stage. So, um, that it's, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's a, there's a lot of, um, there's not much time for
2: reading when you're writing. Yeah. And (laughs) I often can't (laughs) do both at the same time. (laughs) It's, it's not very easy to do the same. Yeah. Um, So, I I mean, I guess the main difference that I've experienced firsthand is that when I started out writing books for children, I was writing just prose. Sure. And the Real Pigeons series is different because uh, they are highly illustrated by Ben Wood, who's a very Mm. talented artist. Uh, And so, the experience is completely different for kids. They're also for younger younger kids as well. Uh, And... I mean, there's, there's so much nuance involved, like that you have to kind of like think about when sure. you think about children's books and, and the children's book market, like, um, a seven year old reader who reads well is really different to a 10 year old reader who's reads badly mm. or is, you know, at the beginning of their reading journey still. Um, and kids read at lots of different rates and learn differently, uh, and the children's book market in Australia, like in the terms of the book market is going really well. Like it's, um, there's more growth there than there are an adult book mm. uh, in the adult book market. Um, so from that angle, it looks like children's books are really healthy. healthy but yeah. if you look at it in the context of, yeah, like yeah. video games and online games and all the other kind of um, things that we're competing yeah. for kids attention for. Um, yeah. It, it, it is tougher. And uh, I, I think that's. I think that in some ways that's led us to kind of like go. Okay, you know what? We need to tell really great stories, and we need to draw on whatever tools we have available to us to tell some of those stories. Yeah, uh, and. Um, you know, I, I, I would love to see more Australian children's uh, uh, books and stories kind of, you know, be made into TV shows mm. on Netflix. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I think there's there's more potential for that kind of stuff if we as a culture value children's books and uh, and literature for young
0: people are, um, kind of, you know, more highly going forward. Yeah. And I think that you know, that that's something that's also maybe not as reflected, you know, maybe from a personal standpoint because we've been doing it but festivals you know you children's authors and and adult authors hardly ever share the stage together because there's a sense that those two things are very different right that the the experience of a children's author and of an adult author maybe is not on the same level which is in one sense maybe not great in the long term um especially say for instance you know if you want to book a book to win an award, rather than if you want a book to sell for kids, maybe those two things are not um, the same. At least that's how it's been for a little while. Yeah. Our, our intent with Real Pigeons is to entertain children. Yeah. That,
2: that is our, our main goal. You don't want the to win the, the VPLA. They, they don't win care the about, yeah. They don't care about awards. They don't care if I have a, a, a message that I want to get through to yeah. them. They don't care if I have a, a uh, an agenda, yeah. a political agenda. Yeah. Um, they just want to be entertained. They just yeah. want like great characters and an Absolutely, interesting story, yeah. something that's going to keep them turning pages. Yeah.
0: Uh, so so like, you're giving up on the VPLA's then, Andrew? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that yeah. not in your future? Not at all. Awards <laughs> awards are great at, yeah. at recognizing books
2: and um uh I would love to win a VPLA. That would be amazing. Um but but my concern is not about mm. that's not why I write books. I Absolutely, write books to yeah. be read by
0: by kids. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and kids seem to be reading Real Pigeons, so that's like a, a happy story. Yeah, absolutely. And congrats on that 'cause that it, it's it's kind of gone bananas from the from the uh from that first launch as well. Yeah, so um, you you were at the launch of yeah. Real Pigeons Fight Crime, which was just over
2: just over at Yugo, which seems crazy given that we know we just published book four, Real so Pigeons Splashback. That's just out now. Yeah. Yeah, where Ben, Ben, the illustrator, and I are working our our
0: butts off uh, getting these books out as quickly as we can. You're basically just disembodied at this stage. You're not even here. Exactly.
2: (laughs) But I think that's part of it. Like, we're aware that kids like a seven-year-old kid Mm. is going to grow up really quickly and grow out of animal stories. Like it is is basically just animal humor. That's what a real pigeons book is. Mm. So one of the things that we do is we try to publish them as quickly as we possibly can um, and ensure the quality is still good. Of course, that's important. But like getting books out so the kids can, you know, continue their reading adventure with these characters and these stories is important because if you just published one mm. and then one, again, three years later, well, then the kid's grown up and, yeah, you've, yeah. and you've missed your them. Your market's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But by putting the mm. books continually in front of them, we're, kind, we're doing our best to compete with the other demands in their life, especially once Absolutely. they're kind of interested in, in a series and have shown interest from the outset, what, like they have with real pigeons. Yeah.
1: It, yeah. Is it ever on your mind to to try and put something in one of these books that will... I don't know. This is, is sort of a, like an unrealistic thought, I guess, to um, to be remembered forever. Or is it more? Is it very much about a quick adventure? Or like, what's the what's the mentality when you put so you're it together? You're more talking like legacy writing. Yeah, and, yeah. sort of. Mm-hmm. I mean, more like. Um, do you ever look at a, a scene and think this is something that's really strong that I really think you know they'll remember forever? Um, I remember it was a book, a uh, Morris Gleitzman, I think. Yeah. Um, was it Morris Cleese? Or Andy Griffiths. See, yeah. see, I grew up in a third world country where you don't have access to authors, so I didn't even know if authors existed until I was like 16, 17. i like, yeah. this is a book, there's no authors, just a book. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think it was, a, it was a split book, but there was, was it called?
2: Uh, Wicked, I think it was. Wicked. That's you a, would know that. That's Andy Griffiths, I think. Is it? I think so. What was, the, what was the story? Uh, well, there was, a, there was
1: a dual protagonist. There was a girl and a boy. And they had this um, really sort of gritty, dark, dark um, adventure in... I think it was in Australia. But it was fictional. I don't know. It's, very, it's been a long time since yeah. I read that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. just the, the grittiness and the muddiness of that story mm. stuck with me. And how old were you when you read this? Uh, that's hard. Maybe... 11 Right yeah, yeah, yeah So would you but say that with It's even more a concept Than like a, a scene It's just how muddy And gritty that story yeah, yeah, was yeah, yeah. Still sticks with me Every time I think of a kid's book I'm like that's yeah. the That was just the <laughs> yeah. The was darkest it, Was it Just Wicked? I think so
2: Yeah that That's Andy Griffiths oh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, of, one of his first uh, series Before he um, Got super super popular With yeah, the yeah, Treehouse yeah. series Oh okay There you go I, I might look it up later Because
1: well it Andy. might be a different one <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> maybe it had a different title then, but I'll. Yeah. but But just that concept sticks with me forever. Is, are there any moments that you think would stick forever?
2: You d- I don't think about it when I'm mm, creating yeah. it. Um, we've we've just come out of Book Week where kids are dressing up like their favorite <laughs> book characters, and we we've, we've uh, had a whole lot of pigeon photos sent through <laughs> to us, like kids dressing up like, which is uh, amazing, <laughs> so but cool, also yeah. surreal to imagine yeah. kids doing that uh, with characters that you've created. Um, I. I what I do think about is set piece scenes. Hmm. Like you know you want to have like a great mystery in a real pigeon story and like a character or two doing really funny things like yeah. a couple of like great running jokes um, but then also like a really big set piece scene mm-hmm. so in one of the stories in the new one Real Pigeons Splashback there's a uh, they go to a, a seaside town called Chipopolis <laughs> and we finally have pigeons meeting seagulls Ooh. in this universe okay. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. P- uh, pigeons of course see themselves as kind of benevolent birds yeah, 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 yeah. who yeah. just wait for food and are happy with a the spare breadcrumb where a seagull Are just in stealing, taking food without asking. Uh, but we have a big scene in there where there's a whole lot of chips being um, hoarded in a lighthouse and then uh, the strongest pigeon, Frillback, kind of jumps up and down on top of them and forces all these chips so they're like, all kind of like joined together and then it forces out through the bottom door of the lighthouse forming a giant ship <laughs> yeah, and that giant ship then threatens the town below, the course, beach yeah, down below as yeah, so yeah. it kind of like roars down the hill at big so town that's an I- top that's speed. So that's like an
0: image that you wanted to get across. Yeah. yeah Something a, memorable. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah, a big kind of set piece scene and um, Diana Wynne Jones does a lot of these in her books where you'll kind of have like in Howl's Moving Castle there's a great scene right in the middle of the the book where the two magicians or wizards I can't remember what they are off the top of my head uh, are kind of fighting but with magic and there's um they're doing the most amazing things and there's fireworks in the sky and dragons and uh it's a real set piece scene and and I've heard her talk about um writing those kinds of books and thinking about them like that like this is a scene that's you know contributing to the narrative but it's contributing by you know uh, setting the path for
0: this big set piece mm. scene where we're going we're going to like you know bring in the special yeah. effects yeah 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 <laughs> and this is something that I guess is, is tailing off that, but it, it was curious. So I read this article a little while ago, right? Yeah, I think it was in The Guardian, so take this with a grain of salt. Um, but <laughs> it was basically, it, it was a very interesting article. Um, where it was talking about the way people read, right? Not just children, but adults, and how that changes, and how that's reflected in literature, right? So, say Howl's Moving Castle is very different to, say, Real Pigeons, right? You're using different mediums to get to your, um, your audience, and this is something that I wonder with Real Pigeons specifically because it gets people's attention. Because, yes, there are illustrations, and that, you know, it, it gives you um, an in to the world and you can see it and you can visualize it and you're still reading. So it's combining these two things together, and I think it does it really neatly. But it's curious because you're almost forcing the reader to not skim. It's a, it's a trick, and I don't know if it's something that you've thought about, but when you read Real Pigeons, you, in one sense, can't skim. You have to read it. Um, and that's something that you can do very easily with just a block of text, right? Mm. So this article mm. was about the idea that skimming is dangerous and it, um, it influences the way our brains process information, right? So if we read a word, we're engaging with it and it, its meaning and what it is, right? When we skim, our brain doesn't have the time to dwell. We're just going on, you know, we're going off cliff notes. Mm. And mm. our brain is reading it like that. And soon we lose the ability to engage with sentences completely. Mm. And that's a really interesting, a little morbid, but a really interesting thing. And they were saying that while that's a thing that has come out of digital media, um, mm. it, it's very easy to skim digital media. Yeah, That's now bled over to to page so people who have grown up with the internet now are reading books and they're applying the same principles that they use you know on twitter or whatever onto those books and it's an interesting thing to think about right um would you, would you confess to have it, having done it because I've, I've certainly absolutely. done it yeah it's
2: like oh i can see the rest of this paragraph is description but if there's a new one i'll just yeah. quickly jump down and keep going from
0: there yeah and i've been actively trying to prevent myself from doing that, but that's really difficult because I mm. never did that when I was younger. Mm. But the older I'm getting, the more I skim and it, it speeds up the reading because you got to read so many <laughs> books in a week and like either you've got podcast authors and you're to read their book or you're not got to, but you know, I enjoy it. Um, or festivals and you read those books or you know, you have friends that are giving you their books and you're reading their books. There's only so many hours in the day. But you know, I think skimming's kind of scary and slowing down and just enjoying the words is is different. have you found yourself doing that
1: Luke Yes, yeah, um it's actually interesting to think about because I used to be really fast at reading until someone told me that I was really fast at reading, and then I started thinking, "Wait, and I was skimming, and then I started skimming from then because I was like huh. oh I'm just a fast reader, interesting. which is very because I was just huh. I was just reading everything really quickly, but then I guess some part of me thought, oh, I have to be a fast reader now. I've been told that I'm a fast reader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You have a reputation. I've got to speed up now. (laughs) (laughs) But I think external
2: pressures are a real thing. Absolutely. Like we kind of like put that question kind of on kids, like, oh, they've got so many things competing for their attention. So the books need to, you know, what about the books? What about the reading? What about the adults? What about us? Like Mm. we've got so many things uh, competing for our attention. Um, So, like, are, are adult books keeping up? Um, that, that question is not being asked of adult books yeah. in the same way that it's being asked of children's books. It's kind of a little bit like um, uh, parents saying, well, I'm not going to give uh, my child a phone because they'll just be on it all day as they, like, scroll <laughs> through Twitter <laughs> on their phone. their phone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah kids like mimic
1: the, their parents a lot. I mean... Totally, I, yeah. If the parents are more engaged with books, the kids will be more engaged with books. It's just... It's how life works. If the dad's watching... Sport all day, mums. Yeah. it doesn't matter what they're doing. Yeah. If they were just watching TV, kids are like, well, all
0: right. All right, now rein it, it in, Luke. This is not a practical <laughs> advice podcast. What are you doing <laughs> talking facts? Come on. This is all meta. We need to oh, not I'm talk sorry. about uh, reality. Well, it uh, <laughs> turns out. Personal responsibility? Person, but I yeah. mean, that is, you know, jokes aside, I think that is important, right? Like, there is a responsibility on teachers and librarians to You know, provide advice for children, but there's also responsibility for the adults in the home to be encouraging that kind of stuff, right? Have you noticed uh, that a lot in, like, with school visits? Do you get a lot of chance to talk to parents?
2: Uh, Not to parents, but I talk to teachers and librarians Mm. a whole lot.
0: Uh, and, I
2: mean, it's kind of tricky because the kind of school that's going to book an author to come and speak to them uh, is probably going to be a school that values uh, authors and writing Absolutely, we're not visiting the (laughs) schools where that's not the case. But there's definitely a trend uh, in schools for the library to be... not the priority in terms of funding, or even having a teacher librarian mm. in that school, and that's that's problematic. That's super yeah. problematic. Yeah. Um, imagine going to a school, uh, a primary school, especially where you don't have a library and there's no no one recommending books. Still happening. Yeah, it's still happening, and it's happening more and more. Yeah, uh, and it's it's hugely problematic. I I th- I think that you can I think that you can make books that are going to appeal to kids without dumbing down the content. Absolutely, mm. uh, yeah. and without worrying. Too much about competing pressures, um, but but also like not being naive mm. about those competing pressures. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, books are just going to be a part of life. And when you don't, when you have a school without a school library, well, then, then there's a problem because they're not a part of life. Yeah. Um but if if there's a school librarian in that school and they've got books and kids can regularly borrow books and make discoveries by themselves but also get recommendations and have a place to like socially discuss books yeah that that's all, that's all right and you know we always need to be you know working out ways to like get you know connect books with readers that's like the job of, you know, everyone in publishing yeah. and um, everyone presenting um, bookish podcasts, probably. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I've certainly taken your recommendations, <laughs> yeah. uh, film and book-wise tonight. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it, a,
0: it's a long spell. There's a, there's a lot to think about in all of that. Yeah, and it, there's no one solution, right? Like, I think it's a layered problem. But it's curious, so I, I had a chat with someone that was in um, year 11, 12, Um, I think it was year 12, and they they were talking about their reading journey, and they were saying that, look, you know, I read a lot as a kid, and the reading list didn't match up to what I was enjoying, but I only had so much time in the day, so I had to do the reading for, you know, the cliff notes of those books, and I stopped reading for the longest time. So there's also, like, a level where reading lists in schools... Maybe aren't necessarily matching up to the interests of children and like encouraging those children to, to read, right? Like, look, I'm not saying that Hamlet isn't great, right? <laughs> but but there's a level where you can you can almost damage someone's interests in books if the thing that they're reading is the source of frustration, right? You can't um, force someone to like a book, yeah.
1: And more and more. I mean that's a very very old concept the mm. idea of you have to read this because it's like it's it's your scripture, whatever it is, yeah,
2: absolutely, yeah, I mean it's like the kind of modern parenting advice of just give your child a choice, don't dictate, be a benevolent dictator, yeah. by, you know, <laughs> pretending like they are in control, but just by giving them a choice between two things, yeah yeah, and yeah. then they feel like they're choosing, but they're also choosing you know one of the two things that you want to <laughs> yeah. offer them, um, yeah, I, I feel like it's a little bit like that, yeah,
0: mm. absolutely um it's yeah. it's curious do you, do you think you see um do you see do you think you see a difference in publishing then um, in response to that like what they're publishing versus you know what kids are reading uh
2: there's certainly a trend of books that are uh, highly illustrated like real pigeons at the yeah. moment um, I think that that's probably uh it's it's, it's hard to say isn't it it's mm. um kids are reading those kinds of books so more of those books are being made yeah um, I you know I, I think that there's plenty of books that are, are just prose um, but yeah it's it's difficult i I, I think that um, illustrated books for kids um, seem to be popular across the spectrum at primary mm. schools at least the primary schools that I've visited so you might have a, a kid reading in grade five but also in grade two um, and in, like there's, there's books that we read up to and read down to as well Absolutely. and sometimes yeah. they're not even books sometimes like a trashy magazine for example yep. as an adult you'll read that not because you're not <laughs> capable of reading you know higher yeah, literature yeah. than a trashy magazine mm. yeah. but because we need variety yeah mm-hmm. um and, and my job as an author, once you've decided to publish that kind of a book, is to uh, capture the attention for the duration of the book. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm really concerned in making sure that, uh, I mean, you talked about attention span before, making sure that I don't lose that attention span once I've got Mm. Um, a kid's attention yeah, you hook them and keep them Yeah Yeah, and kids are really receptive to playfulness Yeah um, Which is maybe one one reason why these kinds of books are so popular sure. Because you can be so playful with illustration and word And, you know, one page looks like a picture book And the next looks like a comic strip mm, mm. Uh, And uh, especially with mystery stories Like there sure. are clues Yeah, you yeah. can't skim Because there are, you might miss a clue Yeah um, So that's, that's kind of my job And, th- I mean, if you think about reading... Um, Reading spans across a series that kind of becomes different, yeah. Um, and there's different things that you have to do to make maintain a kid's um, reading attention over the course of four, five, six books. That's that's a different thing, completely. And then, kind of, you know, the, yeah. market, the market is more important. Do you think it's easier to keep their attention after they already know the characters? Yes,
1: mm-hmm. yes. as in.
0: They're invested.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. 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 like me and Merriman, the, mm, the, yeah, the character Susan yeah. Cooper. I'll read the next one because I know Merriman's <laughs> going to pop up at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Among other reasons, but you know, having a love for a character, yep. and uh, the kids do seem to love the characters. I think that you know, a book can be highly illustrated, but Real Pigeons has really great design characters, yes. iconic.
1: Yeah, I would I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, on the same hand, is it easier to write the second
2: book? It's different because you know the characters. Yeah. And as, as soon as you're... Um, so, I wrote the first one without having any visuals. Um, mm. But yes, yeah, book two, book three and four. Uh, we already know what these characters look like. So, you can mm. do more with like um, kind of physical slapstick in the illustrations, mm. I guess. Um, but ha- having said all that, there we, we have lots of rules for when we're creating sure. the real pigeons yeah, books. Yeah. And one of the rules is that you need to be able to read just the text um, by itself for the story to still make sense. Um, and that kind of is a competing force against the illustrations and the text that need to be perfectly integrated. Yep. Um, and, I, and I think that tension is probably what what is working at the moment about Real yep. Pigeons, yep. the tension between a story that just wants to be told in the text, but with kind of illustrations, not fighting against it, but like the, the tension in between both of them. Yep. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, I... there's so many different kind of topics in what we're talking about, but what I know I can do is keep a kid's attention by telling a story with Ben's help. And it's also
0: sort of, um, you know when they talk about native advertising, right? Like, you know, when it doesn't feel like advertising. If you're reading a book and you don't really feel like you're reading or you're you're being taught structure and storytelling, right? Like if you go into, you know, um, young readers and you'd be like, all right, we're going to talk about Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey, right? Like, I I want to see how many people are engaged at the end of that talk, or you just put on his his <laughs> okay. like famous video lecture and be like, all right, let's watch this guy talk about it. But if you present it in a medium that they were super engaged with, un- like subconsciously they're learning how to read or how to engage with stories mm. and structure, and they're they're and that's such an important skill, right? Like, and and there's almost like a huge burden that society puts on children's authors. To be like hey you're in one sense educating the next generation, and the stuff that they're going to read when they're adults they're going to connect with the things that they read when they're, when're they're, um, when they're children
2: yeah I think I think there's definitely a um, uh, an idea that we have that children's books should be nutritional
0: absolutely
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's got to be kind you know, of, mm. we'll give it to them because it's good for them yeah uh, and that's not wrong it's not but it's not wrong um but I, I think that like the more didactically you think about yes, that and apply
0: absolutely. that, maybe then you're getting into more trouble. Yeah. Um, then you're teaching, you know, you know, letting them enjoy and have fun in a story and get invested. You know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's a difference between handing them a raw potato or some mashed potato.
0: Oh,
2: that's good. Ooh. Ooh. That's a I'm ages.
1: I was thinking for a while. I was like, "What are I going Apples? Apple pie? Yeah. <laughs> like, well,
2: like, you workshop? Apple pie might be a little bit too. Un- yeah. anyways. that's true. <laughs> yeah." <laughs> But also, we want we want kids to, th- like, eat the mashed potato. But we also want yeah. them to, like, know and think about the potato as mm. well. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, like, kids are really interested in story design. Like, go and speak to them at school. Say, uh, you know, I, the, my, my main thing is a surprising story will have your reader turning pages. And lots of things can make a story surprising. Mm. Uh, surprising characters, mm. plot twists, interesting settings, um, concepts. Uh, but having the reader turn the page constantly is what we're aiming for. So here's some of the techniques and tools that we can do to do that and kids are really engaged with that they want to they want to see the the raw potato and play with the raw potato as well and and you you know if you can show a kid how to make not just mash but potato pie and potato potato chips potato (laughs) kebabs chips (laughs) yeah yeah i I, I think kids are naturally interested in that stuff Inquisitive, yeah yeah which is which is great i mean of course they are they're Mm. they're small human beings and they're just willing you know their brains are ready for information and if, if you have the um if you're telling that story in an interesting way, then they'll just, they'll, like, listen to you forever. Absolutely. Well, they... You know, yeah,
1: I think that's how it worked for me, anyways. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. I was, yeah, I had a lot of just books
1: that I really enjoyed from from really young, and I think I started writing when I was eight.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Because like, you were engaged, just, and you're like, I want to do this. This is really cool. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and half of the time when a kid comes up to me after an author visit out of school, Half the time they want to tell me that they enjoyed my book, but the other half of the time they want to tell me that they've just made a book and yeah, they've written yeah, a story yeah. and here's an illustration that they've drawn and here's the front cover they've made for their own book. Yeah, um, they are they are creative beings, yeah. and I think mm. that they see see children's books as, as a way of kind of modelling a you know a way of thinking and working creatively. And I, I think that the way that you make movies and TV shows and video games like that stuff is harder. Mm. Like kids can control a story in a book more easily than yeah, they you know as I- iPhones progress and develop because it does get easier to make home movies yep. um, but if I was a kid I'd love to do both I would love yep. to make home movies with an iPhone and create stories and front covers for books and mm. um, I-, I think that we're just because we're competing doesn't mean that we're aiming for like um, a monopoly absolutely yeah, oh,
1: this, yeah. Is, this is a curious uh, I'm, I'm curious anyways um, do you ever have a kid come up with a book that they've you know typeset by printing out words, cutting them out, and sticking them in? <laughs>
2: uh, no, but I think, okay. I think mostly <laughs> just, just me because then. they're doing it, doing it at school. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Was that the way you did that it? That was my uneducated <laughs> way, because I was like, how do you
1: have a cover? All right, some cardboard box. I mean, that's great. Cover that with something, and then just had a long accordion-folded piece of paper with like word paragraphs stick like cut out of this piece of paper <laughs> glued onto here uh, <laughs> illustrations fantastic. between yeah 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 <laughs> it's funny to go back to yeah. some of it's like peeling off now goodness we still have my one? type my type setting has gotten a little bit better since then there you go <laughs> <laughs> mine's only got I do ones. have one of them yes a strange thing Crazy. to go back to yeah
0: yeah yeah <laughs> legacy well there you go ladies and gentlemen Thank you, Andrew, for joining us on the episode. Lovely to have you. It's a, it's a topic we could never stop talking about. Always a pleasure. Fantastic. All right, Andrew, what have you got coming out? Um, events, books, tell us everything. And why can uh, people follow you on social media as well? You can follow me on uh, Instagram. I'm Mr. Andrew McDonald. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, what have we got coming up we've got a whole lot of bookshop events that we're doing for uh, Real Pigeons to promote book number four we're doing a big uh, launch at the Fitzroy Town Hall with uh, our friends at the Little Book Room and Yarra Libraries Uh, that's on the 7th of uh, September amazing yeah uh, look us up online, uh, and we're going to be all over the place. We're going to be on um, on uh, WB Kids in a couple of weeks, talking about the book. Um, hopefully,
0: you'll see the pigeons rather than having to go out and um, find us. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. All right. Uh, Luke, what have you got coming out? Where can people follow you? Well, I want to have some news,
1: but I'm going to keep it under the hood for a little bit. Again? Um, yeah, I know, I know. Look at teasing Look at me teasing. But um, hopefully, there'll be something else by next podcast, so... Amazing. Um,
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I'm I'm excited. Look forward to chatting. (laughs) Off the mic, because this will be interesting. I'll get the scoop. (laughs) There you go. Um, Well, you can follow The Morning Bell, themorningbell.com.au. There's still plenty of episodes that have come out, and I'm officially back in gear and, and doing these episodes. Luke, do you miss Ian as a host? You can tell me honestly. Ian, who's Ian? Ah, that's the answer I was looking for. Fantastic. <laughs> well, it is good to be back, and we have a bevy of very good guests. I think that's a good word. Um, and you can follow me at the ThePenofJoel on Twitter. Uh, I don't tweet very much, uh, and my website is ThePenofJoel.com, where I don't write very much. Um, but if I do, that's where you can find it. Uh, speculate uh, is doing some interesting things, and hopefully we can talk about that eventually, but no promises on a short deadline. And uh, absolutely, You you can follow us and you can follow the news on Twitter and the newsletter. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you on the next podcast.